This program is sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ. There's a message true and glad for the sinful and the sad. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. It will give them courage new. It will help them to be true. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring out. Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back to another episode of Redeeming the Time. I'm your host, Chris Macy, and I am the minister here with the North Valley Church of Christ. All right, we're going to be taking a look at Revelation chapter 17 today. Last week we finished up, we did uh, chapters 15 and 16, where we saw that the saints were safe there in heaven. They're, they're standing on the sea of crystal there with the Lord in his presence. And in chapter 16, those seven bowls of wrath, the final judgment of God coming down upon the earth. If you missed that, I want to encourage you to go to our website, www.nvcoc.net, and click on that radio mic, and you'll find today's episode, last week's, all the episodes we've done on Revelation, and anything we've done on the program. And you can listen to that at your heart's content, and you'll be caught up, and you'll be smarter than you've ever been before, maybe. I don't know. I'm giving my thoughts and opinions here, folks, and as I said before, study this out for yourself. Study and read the Word of God, and and, uh, don't rest your salvation on me. Revelation is an intimidating book. I know there's so many differing uh, interpretations out there, but I believe if we keep it simple and just take the text for what it says and, and look at this from the sense that I think it was intended to be something that's applicable to every generation and not something that's already happened or hasn't fully happened or things like that, I mean, true is talking about the end time, but it's also talking about situations that every generation goes through. It's a book of encouragement for Christians to know that no matter what it looks like in the world, no matter how bad it may seem, you win in Christ. Just hold fast and know that he is coming quickly to take us home. All right. Chapter 17 on Revelation. The fall of Babylon was very first introduced to us in chapter 14, verse 8, and again in the previous chapter, chapter 16, verse 19. But now the character of the city is described in detail, and her complete destruction is going to be seen. This discussion will take us through chapter 19, verse 10, and we may divide John's vision up here into three parts. Verse, uh, chapter 17, verses 1 through 18 is the description of Babylon. Next week, we'll look at chapter 18, the dis- uh, uh, destruction of Babylon, and then chapter 19, the first 10 verses, the celebration of Babylon's destruction. The interpretation of the symbol of Babylon, as you might suspect, is debated among scholars. I want to give you some of the views that are out there. Some think this is the Roman Catholic Church. Some think it's an apostate religion or Jerusalem or hostile Judaism. Some say it's Rome. My own view is that Babylon here represents worldliness, lust, sinfulness, and all that appeals to our fleshly nature. That's viewed by some as well, others. Of course, Rome offered the world the opportunity for satisfying the flesh with her decadence, 
But I don't believe we can limit our interpretation to Rome or to any one generation. So I'll say that Babylon is Rome, yeah, but she is Rome in the sense that Rome epitomizes all that is in the world, all that leads to sin. We see Babylon raising her ugly head in every generation. In her seductive uh, uh, solicitations to sin, she is a temptress. She is also a third servant of Satan, writing one of his allies in chapter 17, verse 7. We'll see here in a second. Satan employs three means by which he attempts to destroy the people of God. The sea beast, which is anti-Christian government nations. The land beast, which is the false religions. And Babylon, which is the seduction to sin. The church will continually do battle with all these satanic allies, always. I mean, and that's true. Haven't we done how to deal with that? Any Christian governments, are we dealing with that now in this world? We are, all the time. And then false religions? Yes, all the time. And there's always that seduction to sin? Yes, all the time. That covers everything, doesn't it? I think it does. Well, let's uh, jump on into it. Let's uh, get into chapter 17. We'll start by reading verses 1 and 2. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, saying, Come here. I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. So you got the many waters uh, interpreted here for us in verse 15. Uh, we'll see that it represents people, is what it's going to say. The kings of the earth, that's the world leaders or leaders of various nations who followed sinful ways of exercising their power. Uh, those who dwell on the earth, those who you know, live only for the here and now, uh, they have no interest in the things of God. They too have participated in Babylon's seduction and are intoxicated with whatever it is she may be offering. Look at verse 3. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. All right, scarlet beast. Uh, The description reminds us of Satan from chapter 12, verse 3. Also his ally, the sea beast, 13, verse 1. The woman is seen sitting on the sea beast. That is, controlling the anti-Christian nations, and especially here, Rome. You could say that. Scarlet is the symbol of blood, but also sin. Uh, Verse 3 starts off by uh, John saying, He, the angel, carried me, John, away in the spirit. The New American Standard has the word spirit there capitalized. Uh, Their interpretation is the, the third person of the Godhead, but that doesn't make sense to me. I think it's John... In his spirit, he's not there physically seeing these things. He's in the spirit, like Paul was taken up in the spirit into the third heaven from uh, uh, from the Corinthian letter. But anyway, that's just a little thing I wanted to throw in there. <clears throat> uh, verses 4 and 5. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup of Uh, a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots, 
and of the abominations of the earth. So the woman with clothes, she is dressed to attract attention. She looks appealing and attractive, but underneath, she is evil and ugly. She holds out an appealing cup from which she offers all the drink, but its contents are spiritual death. Don't drink from it. Upon her forehead, you got a name. The word mystery refers to what is hidden or concealed, but it is unclear what is meant here, because on her forehead is the real identity of the woman, and it's told to us. Perhaps by the way she is dressed, she conceals her true identity, but we can see her for what she really is. Those uh, talking, I think that's those who know truth. Sin, of course, never presents itself to us in its ugliness. It must wear a mask for us to be enticed by it. But if we're honest with ourselves, we open our eyes and see, have ears to hear, we can know the truth. If you are in the Word of God, things that are happening today in today's world, we can see the evil of it. We can see that killing unborn babies, that's evil. And yet, man, they are proudly proclaiming it, wearing t-shirts about how proud they are they had an abortion. That we can see the evils of letting little children decide to change their own gender. How crazy is that? And yet people think that's a great thing. Evil. Can't they see the writing on the forehead of this of this harlot, of this woman? No. No, they cannot. They are only living for the here and now. It's sad. Verse 6. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witness of Jesus. When I saw her, I wondered greatly. Drunk with the blood of saints. This seems to refer to the martyrs who were killed for the pleasure of Rome. The lust for power and pleasure fueled by hatred led to the persecution of saints. Worldliness is intoxicated with the opposition to all that is right and good. Christians will also suffer at the hand of the seductiveness of the world. When we oppose sin, sin will fight back. And we see that happening, don't we? Always. We're always seeing that. Now, verses 7 through 14, interpreting the mystery of the woman and the beast. Uh, let's read verse 7, and then we'll, we'll probably break this up in some, into some sections here. Verse 7 says, And the angel said to me, Why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. So the angel declares that he's going to reveal what John is seeing. Let's look at verses 8 through 11 first. Yeah, 8 through 11. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come upon the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. And they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain a little while. The beast which was not, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth, and is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. 
The ten horns which you saw are ten kings, who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. Okay, interesting. What does that mean? Ah, Well, I like what Homer Haley has to say here in this passage. Haley refers to these verses as perhaps the most difficult passage in the entire book to interpret. I agree. <laughs> this, is, this is our one. All right. The beast uh, was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss. Okay. Some see this as a reference to pagan kingdoms going back to Egypt or even further back to the nation of Babel, Genesis chapter 11, and continuing through the major world powers in history. Others suggest that it refers to Rome itself or to specific emperors in Rome. This latter view is popular, interpreting was as um, uh, being Nero who persecuted the Christians is not refers to the time when Nero died and persecution ceased for a time and when John wrote the book and is about to come up would refer to Domitian who was thought to be Nero revived and who involves the empire again in persecuting Christians. So uh, I, I, that kind of fits, doesn't it? I think it can. The seven heads and seven mountains, um, the reference to the seven mountains sends many commentators to an interpretation of Rome which has always been described as sitting on seven hills Yet seven is also a symbolic number, and in light of this interpretation, you'll wonder how we should view other sevens as the seven churches, seals, the trumpets, bowls. Verse 10 tells us they are seven kings. I'm still convinced that seven refers to God's dealing with earth. But when the number is associated with Satan and all that opposes God, it, is symbolize, uh, it symbolizes taking the place of God over the earth. That's how I see this. I understand that this is the anti-Christian governments who set themselves up as gods on earth in total disregard for the true God. Is is it Rome or the emperors of Rome? Well, yes, but much more. It's also Iraq. It's also modern Israel or the United States, which promotes by its rulings the sinfulness the world loves. It does. All right. Uh, next part. Uh, the uh, five have fallen. One is. The other has not yet come. So many modern interpreters um, will attempt to force historic world powers. They'll say Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. Or specific Roman emperors. Some begin with Julius Caesar. Others start with Augustus Caesar. Um, any of these symbols, uh, they try to force these things in there, but each has its difficulties. If world powers are in view, then which are included? If emperors are in view, how do you know for certain which ones are included? Supposition, right? All commentators pick and choose their nations or pick and choose their emperors ignoring those that don't fit into their interpretation. I honestly have nothing better to offer. <laughs> I lean toward world powers, the view, which means that 
the five who have fallen are Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Medo-Persia, and Greece. The one who is represents Rome. The other, who is not yet come, refers to either a future power or to all anti-Christian nations of the future. There is currently a movement in our time toward a one-world rule. Some may see this to be the future one who is not yet to come. I don't know. I, I, I'm more. I like the idea that it's just the one that's not yet to come is all the future world powers that keep coming. They always keep coming. They never stop. Because once that one dies off, there'll be another. There's always another one. Every generation, there's always another one. That's the way I see this. So yeah, Egypt, Assyria, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, currently Rome, more to come. It's not going to stop. Verse 12, 10 kings. Uh, did I read to verse 12? No, I haven't. Let's read verse uh, 12. Yeah, let's read verse 12. The 10 horns which you saw are 10 kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they received authority as kings with the beast for one hour. So the 10 kings is the complete number of nations that will arise in the future these are with the beasts in their anti-Christian sediment. They will not last as long as other nations, since one hour is a short time. They will come and go in the future. Verse 13, these have one purpose, and they give their power and authority to the beast. So they are of one mind and intent. They promote the wishes of Satan and his allies. They are opposed to righteousness. These are future leaders. And when you do a study on the history in the world, it always ends up this way, doesn't it? It's amazing. I was talking to my congregation about this the other day, how it baffles the mind that any government would be against Christianity when Christianity tells the members, you submit to the governing authorities. You respect those in power. It's not given the sword for nothing. Submit, submit, submit. Live at peace with all men. That's what Christianity promotes. Why would any government be opposed to that? If I was a communist China, I would say, you're all going to be Christians. Now submit. <laughs> you know? But no, they don't. They, they, they attack it like it's the worst thing ever. Why? Because Satan is behind it. She is sitting on the sea beast, controlling it, moving it people away from the things of God. That's why. Always attacking. Always keeping people away from those things which will bless their lives and give them eternity with the Father in heaven. They have one purpose. And they give their powers to Satan and their authority to the beast. How sad that is. All right, let's read verses 14 to the end of the chapter. These will wage war against the Lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. And he said to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw, and the beasts, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate 
and naked, and will eat her flesh, and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Very interesting. Okay, let's start with verse 14. These will wage war. This is the thematic verse of Revelation. The future, from John's perspective, will continue as the present. The anti-Christian nations will continually oppose Christ and his people to the very end. No matter what, there will always be another nation that will rise up and be against Christianity. Always, for every generation, to the very end. But the victory, the victory belongs to the Lamb. He rules. He has the title Lord of Lords and King of Kings, meaning no one is above him. No one can defeat him. Whatever views we may take concerning the harlot and the beast and everything else, here is the point of the vision. Christians are winners, period, or exclamation point. (laughs) Don't fret. The opposition now. Don't compromise your faith. Don't be seduced by the woman or give in to intimidation of governments. The called, the chosen, and the faithful will always come out the winners in the end. Hold fast. There's verse 15. It gives us the description that helps us understand uh, who uh, the, the, the many waters and what that is, where the harlot sits. Peoples, the nations, the multitudes, and tongues. It's all people that are against God, I think. And then the ten horns, uh, they're in verse 16. Um, I like Haley's comments uh, from his book on this. Homer, Haley, they're good here, so here it is. Quote, this is an example of evil's self-destruction. The principle of love being corrupted to lust and turning to hate, which in turn destroys, can be illustrated by nations today. As long as nations can get what they want from one another, they continue to commit economic and political fornication. But actually, nations and states hate all government, which is being destroyed by greed and lust. And so it is with individuals. First allured by the world, they commit fornication with her. Then realizing their delusion, they hate what they have done. But too late. They are irrevocable, lost, irrevocably irrevocably lost, and destroyed. I like that. That's right. That's exactly what's going on there in verse 16. When the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. You know, they're, they're going to devour her. They will eat their own. Verse 17. Uh, this verse sounds a lot like chapter 12, verse 16. In that verse, the earth helped the woman, God's people, by swallowing the lies coming forth from Satan. There is a clear distinction made between the righteous and the unrighteous. God's purpose is accomplished even by those who oppose him. The nations have a common purpose in that they serve sin. In the world, then, there is both the light and the darkness, sin and righteousness. 
and one has the choice of which way he will turn. These choices are distinct. Choosing the world is to choose against God. Choosing the church is to choose for God. Make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of your time. Redeem the time, folks, for the days are evil. And if you don't know what that passage is, I'll help you out. Read Ephesians chapter 5. You'll find it in there. And read that context. We are living, you know, we don't know when Christ is going to come. It always seems like it's going to be this this generation. Every generation feels that way. Oh, but look at everything that's happening. It, it, it symbolizes, it looks so much like what the book of Revelation talks about. Yeah, it does. Every generation does. Because always, that's what the purpose is. You're always going to be faced with this. It's an encouraging letter to let you know, don't give up. Don't give in. We win in Christ. Keep on keeping on for the Lord, right? So that's what we got to do, folks. Keep, keep studying, keep learning, and don't give up. Verse 18, the woman is the great city. Certainly Babylon represents Rome, which stands for the world of lust and enticement. The great city continues to exist, though, in every generation as the world which opposes the church stands against sin. Over and over and over again. Interesting. Good study there in chapter 17. I encourage you to, when you get home or if you're home now, read through 15, 16, and 17. Uh, we'll, we'll get chapter 18 next week, which will conclude this little uh, a grouping of, of, of text here. This is going to be the uh, Babylon Fallen there. And we'll, we'll look into that more when we get to it. And then in chapter 19, verses 1 through 10, is the uh, victory or the, the praise of the fall of Babylon from those in heaven. So keep studying. Keep learning. Don't rest your salvation on men. Look at it for yourself. Be like the noble Bereans and search out to see if these things are so. And remember, I'm just giving you some of my thoughts and opinions here. So a lot of this is coming from Guy Orbison as well. And so take a look at this. See if you think this is right. Go to our website, www.nvcoc.net. Click on that radio mic. Find this episode, all the previous ones, and many other things that we have talked about. And uh, hopefully uh, we'll get finished up with Revelation here soon. And I want us to get back into some of the things going on in the news. It's It's been kind of nice, though, that we haven't been looking at the news, though, right? Everything going on, we know. And so sometimes it's good to just simply look at the Word and be encouraged by that. Thank you, folks. Enjoy your time. Get ready for Christmas. It's right around the corner. Take care, and God bless. Ring it out. Ring it out. Ring it out. This program was sponsored by North Valley Church of Christ.